Hey, Purple Sunrise, this is Nora Rhodes, your host. Today I caught up with Dr. Bradford Wiles. He is a Kansas State Research and Extension Specialist with a focus on early childhood development and family studies. I had a really honest conversation with Dr. Wiles. We're both working from home right now, so it was a good opportunity for us to connect where we are and where you are. After all, Purple Sunrise, we are in this together. It's troubling to me that um, we're not forgiving ourselves and recognizing that none of this is what we signed up for, right? Um, There are some households across the country who volunteered, thought about, considered, and implemented homeschooling. But most of us who are now doing that didn't sign up for that. And so what happens is there's this, uh, there's, a, there's an accumulation of the different roles and responsibilities that we all have. And the reality is things have to give, things have to be pushed to the side, things have to be uh, able to um, be reduced in priority, and then we have to elevate some other things. Um, and so, you know, Uh, One thing that I I would offer more than anything is self-forgiveness, recognizing this burden of caregiving that none of us really signed up for, especially for those school-age children. I mean, they, they go to school and socialize and other people take care of them for a long time. Uh, And it, it is important for them. And it's also important for us as adults. Uh, And so, I just, um, I really get concerned about people holding themselves to a standard that's really not achievable and frankly, that nobody should really strive to achieve anyway, uh, because in the long run, it's detrimental for your mental health and those around you. Right. And you kind of bring up an interesting point here is that it are, what's detrimental to our mental health? And it's important to realize that our brain and bodies can only deal with a certain amount of stress before it comes becomes traumatic. There's healthy stress and then there's not healthy stress. And we are all across the world, everyone dealing with this pandemic are all in a state of stress that is at the tipping point of not being bearable by us as humans and has nothing to do with our very best put foot forward of what we would like to do with intention. It just is the reality of there's so many rules and routines and rituals that we've broken that the the connections within our brain don't know what to do. And so I think that is important to allow our bodies and minds and family systems time to, to calm down that stress level so that we can make cognitive choices. It's just like, you know, when you talk to a stressed out child uh, or, you know, we we kind of use that visual of a tantruming toddler. I think everyone has either been alongside that or they've watched it from afar. But what has to happen is that child has to be able to regulate before their brain can process. And I think we as adults, teenagers, young children have to recognize that we are thrown into a level of stress that our bodies not weren't necessarily ready for. And so that's why I think this 1545 minute rule, I thought it was really clever 
and important as we are trying to navigate through these stressors and bring work at home, school to home, amongst all the other important components of our life, whether that's family meal time, sharing household chores and all of those things. So what is this 15, 45 minute rule concept? Well, uh, the idea behind it is really to make sure that we don't first overburden ourselves. So we spend 15 minutes with the children in our care doing intensive one-on-one, essentially only attention for them. And then the remaining 45 minutes is more free flow, um, more um, uh, sort of uh, coexisting almost, right? Where, you know, if you need to intervene, fine, but it's not uh, the intense um, trying to do schoolwork or uh, trying to, um, you know, do some mastery. Uh, And so what that allows is for everyone to breathe. Um, and for everyone to be able to uh, focus for a little bit. And 15 minutes for some young children is a lot. Um, But for most, uh, they can handle that sort of interval. And so it's really about finding our abilities, uh, finding uh, having a good guide to manage our time within each hour. So being able to do the things that kids uh, and and teens and tweens, young children, teens and tweens need while still allowing adults to get the things that they need and the things that we have to get done, right? We all have, yeah, we have all these functional roles too, right? I mean, there's the emotional role, but we have all these functional roles, right? We, we do laundry, we cook and clean, we, you know, uh, we take care of the plants, right? I mean, like, you know, all the things, and it's spring, right? And lots of us want to be playing in gardens, right? So there's so many things that go on, and we have different roles in that. And that's not to, to even approach the emotional roles that we have, right? Like, we are there for each other. We're there for our children. We're there for our, our relationships. And so those also take time and energy and they are very important but that's where that 1545 role really helps us is that it gives us a chance to to um make time for the things that aren't exactly task oriented right so a lot of us are kind of faced in this high level of stress right now is like winning the moment in front of us when we don't know what the long-term situation is. So if we can control the next hour of our life, this kind of gives you a framework of, you know, I can provide the emotional and adult, caring adult, young child support level necessary for 15 minutes. If I get down at a child's level, I sit next to them and really try to experience the world through their eyes, through their eyes for 15 minutes, they will get that security and that support that they need so that if you need to hop onto a video conference or dig into laundry or something different uh, for one of those functional roles, you have like 45 minutes to do that where you haven't strained that emotional security and and relationship piece. So it kind of like, to me, I just like how it helps you break through winning the next hour the next moment in front of you and you know if you're if you've been distracted by the functional roles and then your children start to act out I think it allows you as an adult to to reflect and say you know have I invested in them for 15 minutes how long has it been since I really invested at their level 
whether that's reading a book, you know, building, playing together. But, you know, there's lots of different types of play too that prior to this pandemic, we knew research has told us for years and years and years that there's different types of play. Some play is cooperative where the child, whether they are very young or teenager, they need to be next to someone. But a lot of other play styles are observation-based, are feeling that their caring adult is in the same building as them, but they're going to be over there doing their own thing. And then they're, you know, like solitary play, parallel play. And so I just really love this 1545 rule that you shared with us from the agency and young children uh, research collective that it really helps us kind of tangibly take control in a time when the stress levels make us feel like we don't have any control. Yeah, uh, Nora, so it's really fascinating. I mean, there's so many things going on, but one of the things that I've said for a very long time is that we like predictability, humans. As a species, we enjoy predictability. And one of the things that's so difficult about this situation is that it is unpredictable. We don't know from, you know, what's going to happen in the next week, in the next month, right? But when we can at least have a structure, a plan for getting us to the next hour, to getting us to the next hour, that helps us, right? Um, it's if you if you talk with anyone across the board, whether it's in uh, recovery from drug or alcohol abuse all the way to early childhood classrooms. It's having that ability to know what to expect. Those things are absolutely critical. And so as we map out and know what to expect, it helps us. It helps our bodies settle down. It helps our minds. And let me also say to your point about spending the 15 minutes, that's not just beneficial for the child. Right. It's good for us as adults. It's good for us to focus in and to be present because when we're doing that we're not thinking about those things that are really getting to us right we're not being overly burdened and so that's part of the the joy of it is that it is a good reward uh to to, to do that great uh so we are blending you know tech learning versus non-tech learning. Do you have any tips on how we can make sure that we are engaging in screen time in a way that's not going to uh, take away from the essential learning components of face-to-face -face, um, or hands-on learning? Yeah, so um, what I would say, uh, the first thing is we know that adults are going to rely on screen time more at this point. I mean, it's, it's you know, I get that. Um, what uh, the, the roles for parents in uh, particular, uh, you know, when you're, when you're getting these online exercises or, uh, you know, there are videos or things like that, uh, it's about being engaged. Um, I, I have said for many years now, that the screen time itself is not the issue. It's isolated screen time that is the issue, right? So if you're present, if you're watching with, if you're discussing, if you're engaging with, if you're if you're there to assist and the child uh, knows that you're there, that's a totally different experience than having a child do something in one room while you do it in the other. Those, those are those are just vastly different. And so what I would encourage is. Um, 
if you're going to use spring time, just make it a shared activity. Make it something that you experience together, that you do together. That is the biggest win for everyone. Um, and, you know, even if you're watching a show on Sesame Street, taking a minute to talk about what's going on, you know, ask questions about what uh, they're seeing. Point out things that they that are on there that you might you might see in your home or you've seen before. Have conversations. Children learn by having conversations, right? This is the thing with screen time. That's the hardest thing for me is that the information that children get from screen time is valuable, but nothing, nothing in their worlds is more valuable than this, right? Right. So it's really kind of taking the isolation, the 2D experience, essentially, of screen time and making sure that all five senses are engaged in that process. So it's, you know, taking I mean, thinking of your five senses, which is another tangible thing that we as humans can grasp during a high stress time like we are living in now and, and thinking about how do I expand or just, you know, complement that screen to include questions or interactions that would be active involving all five of those senses. Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's just say that uh, you're, uh, I'll use Sesame Street as an example, right? You're watching Sesame Street and they're at Hooper's store, right? Well, Hooper's store has vegetables, right? So you can stop and say, okay, what kind of vegetables do we know, right? What do they smell like? Right. What does it smell like when they're growing? Right. Have you ever gone in a garden? Um, you know, what, do, does it does it smell bad? Is it you know, does it smell fresh? Right. And we can bring these words and we can we can ask, we can explore, we can give some information about different things. Uh, this is one of my favorite things about uh, young children in particular is as adults, we know more than they'll ever know about just about anything at this stage. Right. Like, you know, the potatoes grow in the ground. Most young children don't know the potatoes. Right. Right. And so these are things that we can talk through and have conversations with uh, with children about. And, uh, you know, anything that they're viewing, anything that they're learning are, are opportunities for us to to extend and expand on what they know. Uh, and so that's really how you you maximize the the screen time experience that that uh you know I, we're essentially forced into is to yeah you said it best take that 2d experience and make it 3d make it a family experience make it a shared experience that's where the power is right so and that kind of is also a lot of like what we talk about reading you know reading is not necessarily screen based but but the way you make reading active, those same strategies is how you make screen time active. It's asking the open-ended questions. It's following the child's lead. So you're not just like, with the screen time, you're just putting the, the words and visuals in one route and out the other. With reading, it's putting the words in one way and out the other. But it's like, if I'm reading a book, does it really matter if we read every page? If engagement on one page is really valuable and and so it's like you know if the animal is doing jumping jacks are you doing jumping jacks are you uh really making the noise of a pig or are you just oinking verbally you know and in those same concepts go toward making screen time a tool for us versus a detriment what stories of resilience and connectedness have you kind of been observing and witnessing 
throughout Kansas that you think really um, is special right now? Yeah, I, so there are a number of them. Um, one, one thing that I, I want to say before I, before I start on that is um, I don't have any expectations for people to live up to anybody's measuring stick but their own. Um, right. I, uh, I, I don't want to dwell on that because, uh, but, but I do want to say that, hey, we're all doing our best. So do your best. Some days your best is going to be better than others, and that's okay. Uh, right. Self-forgiveness. And so when I think about the success stories, when I think about the stories of resilience, the ones that really strike me are the ones who I know to be perfectionists who forgive themselves. Being able to be a recovering perfectionist is, in my view, the, the very definition of family resilience here because uh, you can stop causing yourself anxiety as a result. I mean, there's enough anxiety to go around, but we don't need to beat ourselves up for the things that we uh, can't control, right? Right, yeah, so, you have things that we can control and things that we can't control, and we need to really be able to take a deep breath and recognize that. I think you bring up an interesting point when you're talking about forgiving yourself and accepting that we're all doing our best with what we have. And I, I think there's an important point there to, to recognize is that this pandemic is going to impact every single human being. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you are a newborn or you've lived through other pandemics or wars and things, this is going to impact us. and. I think it's important to talk about it. Everyone's communicating at all times, but a child, you know, sometimes they say, you know, they are asking to play with you when they're stressed because they can't say, hey, I'm really anxious about this right now. Or, you know, an older adult, you know, we almost kind of shut down and focus on the functional things when we need emotional right. support. But it's being open and transparent and honest about the forgiveness and the things we didn't do well but also to give ourselves credit for the days we did better than what we thought we might, because those are the resiliency factors that are going to make us stronger because of this. I think if you want, read historical accounts of those who lived during war times and other pandemics, they, those lifestyle changes don't go away when the pandemic goes away. So the soft skills that are taking us through this experience and soft skills are something um, Bradford, what, what would you use, you know, when we say soft skills, what would you use to describe a soft skill? <laughs> yeah, so uh, the way I tend to think of them are the things that we learn as young children, right? Uh, how to get along with other people, how to regulate our emotions, and how to solve problems, right? Those are the things that to me are most critical, right? When you think about employers, what they want, when you think about functioning adults, functioning children, those are the things, right? And the thing is, is that we, we teach content around those things, right? Like you need to know math in order to solve problems in some domains, right? You need to be able to work with other people basically across all domains, but we don't always focus directly on that ability to work with one another. We sort of expect it and, you know, correct it at the time, but, what those skills do and how, I mean, flatly, how we as people learn them is we learn them from other people. And we learn them from modeling, from engaging, from making mistakes and correcting. And so for me, 
uh, as I think about it from the child development perspective uh, in particular, those are the skills that we can most affect while we have our children directly with us. Those are the things that aren't so much content-based, but are more uh, how we think about the world-based, how we interact with our world. And, and uh, children can, can learn those things with adults. Right. And like, I think it is important to continue to have open conversations with our children and with the older adults in our lives, everyone about what we're experiencing. I mean, we can't hide the fear of the pandemic because they're getting that information, whether we share it with them or not. So we can be open and honest and help people navigate through the emotion and the reality of why they can't have a birthday party. Why, uh, Easter celebrations looking different. Why grandma doesn't get someone to read with her the same way she has for the last two years, you know? And I think we need to talk about that and be honest because then that gives our brain an opportunity to like say, okay, let's focus on my next strength and come up with a solution now how we can deal with this. And, you know, and I think uh, working through with people through the trauma and being honest with your own experience through it. I mean, a, a child's not gonna understand that I might be stressed out because of the financial implications of this experience or this pandemic, but a child understands that I'm sad because they're sad too, <laughs> you know, yeah. and we can talk about things at a level of which we understand uh, amongst yes. each other. Yes, Nora, yes. Um, uh, two critical points just to, to, to uh, in, uh, enforce that even more. Um, children understand whether we articulate it very well or not. They can respond. They see if we're stressed. They know if we're stressed. Their bodies are very, very, very well programmed to respond to our stresses, right? And so we need to be uh, honest with ourselves, right? And yet this is the key. This, this is the, the, the thing that you hit is so critical. We need honesty, right? We need authenticity. Um, we're, all of us have different fears. All of us have different concerns. Uh, some of them are shared, some of them are not. Um, it, you don't need to talk about virus transmission with your three-year-old, right? But you can say, we're worried. We don't want to get sick. We don't want you to get sick. That's why we're doing what we're doing, right? Um, you know, uh, I I have uh, a March and an April birthday in my own house, and those things have been very very different. Um, and uh, it it is um, it's an experience that uh, it has helped um, uh, our family grow, but it also hurts, right? I mean, and and that's what we need to be able to talk about. Um, I mean, we can, you know it's okay to talk about these things, right? It's okay to talk about how you feel about things um, because so much of what, we're, what we see is information and yet we don't process what that information is, is, what effect that information is having on us. And so that is helpful for everyone. And flatly, it reduces our stress. And then we're better parents, better partners, better uh, children and grandchildren. Right. We've talked a lot about predictability and, you know, and being honest. And I think a lot of our structures, you know, were 
dependent on when we leave the house and when we return to the house uh, with pre-pandemic lifestyle. I think it's important for families to be thinking about how they can maintain predictability. You know, we talked about the 1545 rule, but there's also bedtimes, meal times, other ways that whether we are young or older, those things are important to us. And I think you do a good job of explaining why it's important for us to have rules um, and what rules mean for us uh, in relation to uh, stability and knowing what to go back to. <laughs> those you, know, you do a good job ex explaining that rule piece yeah. of our lifestyle. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's, uh, it's so uh, important for us to um, know what to expect. I mean, that's it's what we all want. Um, and one of the one of the really interesting dynamics that's happened is we have people who like like you and me who work uh, you know full time we have full time jobs trying to do that work from home with our partners coming in and out with our children coming in and out um, and and trying to balance that and so yeah it is it is really incumbent upon us to try our best to let each other let everyone know when we're available, when we're not. No, I, I personally uh, tend to, and I didn't in this case, although I might have. Yeah, I did. Um, you know, let people know that like, hey, I've got young children in my household. Yeah. If I, you know, if I need to get up and do something, too bad, I have to get up and do something. And so, right. you know, it's again, knowing what to expect. It's setting the stage, right? The, the way that I phrase it a lot is setting the stage. So you set the stage, right? You, you let uh, the people in your household know, um, and, and it just helps with, with, uh, every little bit. And then one thing I would really encourage, uh, particularly for parents of, of younger children is once your children go to bed, ha have a schedule that you spend either together for some, for all of it, or, you know, even some personal time, right? Because you are thrown in together in ways that you've never been before. Um, but just negotiate that, navigate that, um, be, be explicit, right? Again, this, it's this honesty component, right? So uh, for some, they need to spend that time after kids go to bed together, right? It's really important that they do. For others, they need breaks, right? They need to take an hour away and then come together, right? Um, and and uh, any of those things are okay. Uh, it's just being able to know what to expect. That just calms us uh, in, in so many ways, in particular, again, in those ways that we have some control over. Yeah, you know, I kind of have a funny example, too, of, of how we build our routines, even when we're stuck in the same walls right now. But Friday night is kind of our celebration of we survived the week in our home. Yeah. We, we do popcorn and a movie, and we sometimes picnic our meal time in the living room. Yeah. And it's Friday and we have trained my kids. Um, and this is something I did before a marriage, before children. And it's important to me to survive the week. And so uh, now it's a family celebration. But uh, this pandemic has created a lot of confusion on what day it is, and, you know, and what do we do? And so we have really tried to protect that ritual. So that when we um, give it on an extra day, we know what to go back to. Like, so it's Easter weekend, which is an important holiday in our home. 
And so last night we got the movie and the popcorn and the celebration while they asked why. And I said, well, it's a holiday. Yeah. And so they're like, do we get to do this tomorrow too? Because tomorrow's Friday. Well, yes. But next week we have to go back to our normal schedule because this is a special exception of what we're doing. And so by having these rules and routines for the young ones, for the older ones in the home, whether you're as groups or also by yourself, when you steer away from it for whatever reason, the sickness, the stressor, the you have to go get the, that essential item taken care of and now's the safest time for you to enter the grocery store. If you don't have routines and rituals in place, you don't ever know what to return to. And that's really where your brain gets stuck in a level of traumatic stress and can't ever release it back down to normal regulation. And we don't want our brains to start thinking normal is traumatic stress. Yeah, I, so well put. Um, what what uh, the, the key that you mentioned that's so important for people uh, thinking about these routines is this, that uh, if you change it up, it's your decision, right? Or your and the other adults in your house, that's the decision, right? It's not driven by the children who, uh, frankly, will take advantage of you at any turn. Because at any of course age. They, right, of course <laughs> they will. And they should, right? That's what you do. You push boundaries. You try to figure out where the limits are. And if you have limits, then that's great. And then if you change them, that's okay because that's your decision. and then it suits you and can can bring some joy to them, but it's not a direct result of any sort of complaining or or giving in to anything, right? That's where routines are so critical is that once you have them set, they provide a, a, a hard barrier to uh, trying to push those limits. And so over time, they'll stop trying to push them, right? I mean, you know, after a while, children don't, um, just expect to stay up past their bedtimes, right? Uh, but if you, on a day, want to, no problem, because it's your decision, not theirs. Right, um, right. And so that, that's the really critical element of all of the routines, is that um, they are in place uh, it, seemingly for the child's benefit, but they're really for the adult's benefit, right? When you have them, they are their own reward because so many things become easier. Um, I've, I've worked with some people who really enjoy a good policy um, because the policy takes the thinking out of the equation, right? Policies make it so that this is the way it is and that's it. And routines are very much that way, right? I mean, we can call them family policies, right? And that's good. I mean, it's good for people to have that. Uh, the difference between you know a work environment and a family policy is the family can revise that as they see fit. And that's what's really helpful. Right. So, Bradford, thanks for spending your time with me today. As we wrap up, I would really like to hear a little bit about mind-mindedness and how whether we're in a high stress situation such as today's pandemic or are a low stress, the weeks go in the way you want it to environment, how we as caring adults can focus on mind mindedness to uh, engage in the relationships around us regardless of the age of the other people. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, so uh, I love the, the name mind mindedness. Uh, 
But really, it's just thinking about others thinking, right? It's thinking about where other people are coming from and being really intentional in that. And uh, Nora, if I had a magic wand, the thing that I would do uh, beyond cure the pandemic is <laughs> I would uh, ask everyone to be intentional in their interactions with other people. And what my mindedness does is it it's a way of making sure that while we're engaging with someone else, we're thinking about what they're thinking and then processing that and reacting. It takes a little more time than just reacting, but the quality of the interactions is so much higher. And it, again, provides us with these, things, these cues that really help children's development and help our own understanding of other people, particularly our children. So when we think about parental mind-mindedness, it's really, you know, thinking about what it must be like for your five-year-old to process uh, something, right? To do some task. Uh, you know, for us, if a five-year-old asks us what six plus five is, we know the answer. Why? Because we just know the answer, right? I mean, it's, it's we understand that and just know, um, but for them, you know, they're still trying to figure that out. They're still trying to understand the symbol of numbers and what that looks like. And so my mind is, is, is our thinking about, oh, yeah, yeah, they are trying to figure that out. So how can we respond to them in a way that's not um, dismissive or, or that's in a way that's encouraging? Um, you know, sometimes I just want the answer and sometimes that's okay, too. But other times, you know, there's a way of thinking about what they're experiencing. Going, okay, hey, let's get six, you know, six pennies and, you know, five dimes and figure out what that adds up to, not only on the money, you know, on the right. money things, but just uh, on the on the number of objects, right? Or just get, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sure we have 11 of something around our house, right? Um, what is mine, mine? I know you work with early childhood uh as a primary focus, but I know you have like gerontology as a background too. Um, what does mind mindedness look like when we're engaging with older adults who are, have, who have been identified as a high risk population during this pandemic? So what does mind mindedness look like toward that older adult audience? Yeah. So it's, um, it's a little bit more of a give and take as you get, uh, across the lifespan. I mean, it should always be that way in, uh, when working with young children, but it's a little bit more, we have more expertise, but you know, it's flipped when, when we get to older adults. I mean, uh, you know, flatly, they have more wisdom or at least most of them do. And so how do we practice mind-mindedness with, with older adults? Well, uh, the first is we think about what they could be thinking, right? And we know that they're a high-risk group. So what are they thinking about? They're probably really concerned about their friends. They're really concerned about themselves. They're really concerned about, uh, you know, policies and and what that looks like for them. Um, and so it's it's thinking about what they could be thinking and then also responding and asking questions and uh, offering help and uh, doing some modeling of, of what you think might be beneficial, right? Um, but most of all, most importantly, is uh, my mindedness is not something that's just thinking about. It's engaging, right? It's using that perspective to engage with. So it's an engagement process to understand someone versus just respond to them. 
or react to the situation. So it's just about accepting that everyone else has their own unique lens. It's a, it's a different way to me of describing empathy, but I think sometimes empathy can become a word that we've heard, we've heard, we've heard, and we don't really truly think about. And so I kind of like the mind mindedness approach. Cause like you, I, I think it uh, really makes me take a step back and say, you know, how am I using my mind, um, my toolbox, my communication toolbox to be mindful of others. Um, yeah, that's exactly that's right. And, and one key component of empathy is empathy is generally a feeling, right? You feel empathy. My mind is just the thought, right? It's the thinking about. And so what happens is we learn empathy by thinking about it, right? And so it's this process that really helps us because, yeah, exactly to your point, uh, we can talk about empathy, but it's hard to actually do it without being mind-minded, right? Without thinking about other people's perspectives and other people's thinking. And that's where, uh, so as I see it, empathy is the end result of mind-mindedness, right? Right, and and I think if there's anything we can really gain out of this pandemic is we can all be building our toolbox of mind, using our mind-mindedness toolbox so that in the end, you know, hopefully our families, our communities, our support groups, and our society as a whole, we have a higher level of empathy. And I think, you know, anyone will will not argue that we could all use a little more mind-mindedness and empathy in our lives. So, so great. Uh, no argument for me. I do just, I mean, I highlight uh, forgiveness is absolutely the key in all of this, right? You just have to forgive yourself. You have to forgive your kids. You have to forgive your partner, your your parents, your grandparents, whoever it is, uh, realizing that none of us have been through this. And so we just have to be uh, accepting and tolerant and forgiving of all of the things that are happening. And we have opportunities. I mean, this is this is the, the, the silver lining of all of this is we have some opportunities to build our relationship skills, to build our connections with our families, 